In John chapter 3, I'll read verse 16, and then I will read more in just a little while. But you probably have this memorized, and it will come to your mind if you've been around churches for years. John 3, 16, here are the words of the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And may the Lord bless his word as we have it read into our hearts today. And the title of this message is Christmas Part 1, What God Did. You know, this verse is a verse that is very common. I grew up watching football, and they used to have some guy who had a crazy uh, wig on, and he, he had a shirt, T-shirt, said John 316. And he would show up at uh, almost every televised NFL game in the end zone. So when they kicked a field goal, it may not have been the same guy, but it looked like the same guy. And he'd had that John 316 invisible for everybody to see. I thought, well, that's an interesting witness that he had. And this verse is certainly a great verse. I responded recently when someone said, how would you define uh, the, the message of the Bible in one sentence? I guess there's a lot of ways you can do it, but I just use this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so that is a lot in that one verse. And, and yet that one verse, though it's not a long verse, it's not super long in terms of its passage, it tells a great story. In fact, so great a story that you need to read the rest of the Bible to understand it, and your own experience will learn, uh, you'll learn a lot about it as well. But I wanted to emphasize this week on what God did, because what he did is the primary thing. What we do is much easier than what God did, but God did something. And so what did God do at Christmas, and what is it all about? So we first start with the word for God, or the words, but God is the word I want you to look at. Who is initiating this process? It is God who is the one who is responsible for the Christmas story. It is God who originates this story. He had this planned all along. He knew that we were going to sin. He knew that we were going to have problems in this world that we would create and other problems we would inherit. He knew that there would be death and crime and disappointments and broken hearts. He knew these things would happen. But God starts a process, and he is the one who is chiefly responsible for Christmas. I, I don't want us to think about Christmas as being something that we do or as a holiday that we we manufacture in order for us to feel good about ourselves. God starts the whole process of the Christmas story. He is the one who is first, and like the Bible says, he's also last. So we need to keep him as the originator of all of these things. Uh, it is like many people have said, and I, I do agree with those who say it, that he, God, that Jesus is the reason for the season. So John 3.16 starts with God, but then second part 
that I think we need to really concentrate on is the part where he loved us. And not just that he loved us. It's enough that he loved us, but he loved us so much. He loved us so much. Now, he really did love us. He proved he loved us. He loved us when we were unlovable. If you think about our world today, there's a lot of hate. There's a lot of disrespect. There's a lot of people who don't care about Jesus Christ. They create all kinds of things to try to get in on the whole Chris, uh, the Christian celebration of the birth of Jesus, and they substitute things for the Lord. And there are imitations, and we need to be aware of imitations because we don't have to go very far to find out that in the vast majority of cases, people are not worshiping Jesus, the Christ of Christmas, but they're worshiping other things. And there's many errors about Christmas. For instance, we don't want to, to emphasize uh, Santa Claus, reindeer, and, and elves. All the things we normally talk about, those are not things that we want to emphasize above Jesus. Jesus is truly the one who is the subject that we need to worship. And he is the one who loved us. So God the Father loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. And that's what God does. So with God, Christmas is a real sacrifice. Now, I do know that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but his birth is also recognizing even in his birth, we understand his death. Because if only Jesus was born, we would be hopeless. If his only go the only thing to celebrate was the fact that he came into the world, that would not be enough. Something else had to happen. So he entered the world to become a human, but his purpose for being a human was not to be born, but his purpose was to die. And so Christmas is, 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 a, is a wonderful time for us to remind ourselves that he was the only baby born to die. He was born to die for us, to die for our sins and in our place, to take on that horrible thing called sin and death and the grave. He took those things upon himself. Now, we learn a little bit more when we read back in John chapter 3, the Lord Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. He was an expert of the law. But, uh, and, he, and he did like Jesus, and he came to Jesus at night. And he wanted to know about what, you know, you needed to do. He wanted to know how to get right with God and be right with God. And Jesus had told him, except a man be born again, he shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And of course, Nicodemus had a hard time understanding this. And in verse nine, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness, talking about the people, the leaders. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
So he begins to tell him the story that leads up to John 3.16. He says, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. So he says here that no human has had the power to just go and make it to heaven. Now, we do know that God took two people in the Bible, Enoch and Elijah, and took them to heaven, but they didn't get there on their own power. They got there because they were pulled up to heaven on their own. But in this case, Jesus says that no one has earned heaven on their own, but he says himself, the son of man, he is the only one who came down from heaven to the earth. So that's very important that Jesus has an extraterrestrial birth. He, 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 he was born here, but he came from heaven. So he literally came from somewhere else to come here. But another fact that Jesus brings up is in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So we now have everything set up for John 3.16, that Jesus has to be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. Now, in the entire Old Testament, nowhere in the Old Testament is the incident of the serpent being held up in the wilderness explained. Now, it's there, but it's not explained. It's one of the most bizarre situations in the Bible. Now, the Jewish people were told by God, the Hebrews, when they were in the wilderness, they were told to have no gods before him and to make no graven images. So they were not allowed to make objects of worship. It, it, it was common among the nations, and to some degree, it's still common today, to create idols and bow down and worship them. So they, they have a religious, uh, how shall I say it? They have been given rules in the Ten Commandments do not bow down to an image, do not create these images, do not worship other gods. So they're hypersensitive about these things. Now, that being said, when the people were being punished by deadly snakes, and I'm sure that, that those of you who uh, like snakes will probably not have any problem with this, but how many of you are in the quality, a characteristic of people or in a group of people who don't particularly like snakes? Raise your hand. So snakes can be terrifying. They are, uh, even biblically, there's a, a real um, enmity put in there between snakes, especially women. They, they don't get along. And yet these snakes were killing people. So the Lord directed Moses to do something very strange, to, to make a brass serpent and to put it on a pole, a wooden pole. Now, that's just very weird, but that's what he was told to do. And uh, why would God have him to do this? Is God, you know, if somebody didn't know the story of Jesus, didn't understand the whole purpose of the Bible, they might say, if they dug up that, that serpent someday, they would say, well, that was an idol that they bow down, the, the snake god, you know, they, they, they followed the, the snake god. But this is not true. In fact, the snake was seen as a cursed item. Uh, the snake was representative of evil. 
representative of something that's bad. So when you had this snake on this pole, it was also a very, uh, uh, how shall I say it? The Bible declared that if somebody was put up on a tree, whether they were hanged on a tree with a rope or, uh, or nailed to a tree, it didn't matter. But if they were attached to a tree as a form of punishment, they were considered cursed. So it was understood that anything on a pole, a person who was crucified or, or in any way attached or hanged on a pole, they would be considered cursed. So we see here that God is painting a picture that without the New Testament, we would not understand it. But the picture is this. The serpent is the cursed object and anything attached to the tree is cursed. And if you just look at the cursed thing, you will be saved. And that's what happened. They didn't have to have the best eyesight. They may have just turned in the direction of that pole with that snake. And guess what? They would be healed. They, that, that wasn't hard work. I mean, they really just had to turn and look at that serpent and God would heal them. A very bizarre and it's not even explained at the time that it was done. Now we have Jesus giving us the interpretation. Jesus explains it very clearly here in John chapter three. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. So if you know what you know about that cursed item, you know that the snake was considered evil. You know that the people had to look to that snake so that their curse would be removed from them and transferred symbolically to the snake. So Jesus is saying something very strange, that he would become the cursed item, that he would be the subject of the punishment, that he would be lifted up like a serpent in the wilderness. And, he, and not only does it say this, but notice how it says he must, the son of man must be lifted up. Even so, must the son of man be lifted up. We have a, a bigger problem than being bitten by snakes. We have a sin problem. This sin problem is, is, has affected us all. It is, it's constantly our problem, but it has an eternal punishment. And if we don't get it corrected, we can never be saved. And there is no way to have hope without us having God's solution for the problem. Now, God solved the problem of the people with the snakes. But God solved the problem with sin for all of us with Jesus. Because the Son of Man would and had to be lifted up. And he was attached to the, the wood pole, to the tree. He was the cursed object. He was the one who had to die for us, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. How hard is it to look to Jesus? At Christmas, we look at the baby Jesus. We think about the nativity. We think about all the things. We, we see the children who get presents, and we know that they, that fills their hearts with joy. But if we're not seeing Jesus lifted up on that cross, we're missing out because it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that the world 
is saved because they adored necessarily the baby Jesus. But if they look at the crucified Jesus, they can have eternal life. So the, the great thing about the wise men was that these wise men were directed by God. They did rightly worship Jesus, but they also, through the gifts they gave, they exhibited the, their understanding, or at least God's understanding, of Jesus would ultimately have to die. Because one of the gifts they gave him, they gave him gold, they gave him frankincense, and they gave him myrrh. Gold is a royal gift. He is the king. They bowed the knee to him. He, uh, they also noticed they gave him frankincense. That's a, a prayer because frankincense was used in prayer. They would burn the frankincense and it would send a stream of smoke into the air, symbolic of our prayers going to heaven. So Jesus is king. He's also priest. But he was also something else. He was prophet. And as a prophet, the prophets for forecast the will of God, but they also suffered greatly and often were killed. And to symbolize that, they gave him myrrh, which was associated with death. And, and they foretold the whole story there of Jesus. The scripture here says that Jesus gave up everything to be lifted up. But the thing about the Lord that we need to remember is that if we can point people to Jesus crucified and not to simply all the things associated with his birth or all the things associated with, with, uh, with the season of Christmas, but instead if we'll turn people to the cross and to Jesus, that that creates a magnetic power to pull people to him. So he makes it clear here that you had to be lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I start thinking about the way our world is today, and it's very strange. We've, I, I'm 56 years old, so 56 years, I have a memory that goes back more than 50 years. So it's half a century of living memory. Some of you have more. Uh, but I will say that I've seen the world change in 50 years. Have you? I mean, I really have. I've seen the definitions that I used to use when I was a kid and was taught, here's what this means. Here's what this means. Here's what that means. I've seen these all just change in the last 20, 20 years. They just change words. You know, if they don't like it, just get rid of it. It's amazing. But you know what has not changed? Human nature. Human nature hasn't changed. So God hasn't changed. Human nature hasn't changed. But for some reason, the more we kick God out of our conversation and the more we neglect the Christ of Christmas in our communities and in our world, the more everything else seems to change. And it changes not for the better, but for the worse. We're living in dangerous times. Because we live in times where the same hostility that Herod had toward Jesus will return. It's not going to go away. And all those who believe in Jesus, I'm not talking about some idea of Jesus. I'm talking about the Jesus of the Bible. The more unpopular 
it will be because we keep losing ground. We lose ground in culture. You know, think about it. We worry about our government. We worry about the world and wars. But what have we done in our cultures to, in our culture that's been positive in the last 50 years? I mean, have we really had much of a change? A little bit here, a little bit there. But we're not changing people's hearts. And we're not taking what the Bible says with us into our daily lives. We're just using the government as an excuse. Well, it's the law now. We just got to go along. It's the law. It's what this court says and that court says. We got to do what they say. No, we need to do what God says. And I think the number one mission is to lift up Jesus because what is the number one problem? Is the sin problem. People are dying and going to hell. They need the Lord. And if we try to solve every other problem, but we don't solve that problem, it won't matter that they got the other problems solved. They need the Lord. So in part one of the Christmas story, God did something. He gave up his son to be hoisted up, treated horribly, and killed on a cruel cross. But he did it in hopes that people would look to him. Now, God tells us that if we just look, we will be saved. And that's an amazing thing. If I be lifted up, Jesus said, I will draw all men unto me. And that's so true. He will draw all who focus on him, who look to him, and desire help from him. Now, in this day in which we live, we're going to have a lot of Christmas programs. There's going to be a lot of things on TV. You're going to have cartoons. And, and, and maybe one out of ten are really biblical. I don't know. But remember this. A lot of people want the symptoms of sin cured, but they don't want the actual disease cured. So they just don't want to have the side effects. You know, just fix the side effects and I'll be good. Give me a pill and I'll be okay. No, what God wants to do is solve our real problem. It's a problem in our hearts. It's a problem that requires new birth. It's a problem that requires us to look to Jesus, the crucified Jesus, not the baby Jesus, but look at the one they lifted up and treated so harshly. One little thing before we, we go. A lot of times people see the word Xmas and you think that's done at, out of disrespect for Jesus. But I want to say to you that it's not always done out of disrespect. In fact, Xmas might be a better way to talk about this season. You see, the letter X is in English is an X. We, we just have it as a sideways cross. But the letter X in... Uh, uh, Greek, that looks like an X, is the chi. And the chi is the first letter of the word Christ, okay? So the chi is the very uh, letter used to abbreviate Christ, uh, but it also tells the story because it is in the shape of a cross. And I think the more we can point people to Jesus and the cross at Christmas, the more successful we will be. And that's what all of us need. So what did God do? 
He prepared the tree upon which Jesus would one day be crucified. And he also made the hill upon which he would die. He did it all for us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for the time of year where we can reflect on Jesus. I thank you for your love, and I pray for you to help us. We see so many things in our own time where people have disrespected you and don't care about you and certainly don't care about what you have told us to do. We ask for your forgiveness for our own sins because we are the failures too, and we are not uh, any different than other people. It's just that you have provided for us uh, the wonderful saving faith in Jesus. But Lord, help us to be witnesses for you in this Christmas season, and may we truly put Jesus Christ uh, first this year. For we pray this in the blessed name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and amen.